Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast. I am TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com. You can follow me on Twitter at TJ McBride NBA. This is the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, which is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. So make sure to go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, Spreaker, Stitcher iHeartRadio, Spotify, it's, it's everywhere. If you cannot find this podcast, reach out to me and I will absolutely find a way to get it to you because there are multiple different platforms. I believe I'm on all of them. I'm not 100% sure because there are so many of them nowadays, but I am pretty sure it is on all of them as are the rest of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can go listen to Lakers Film Room for all Lakers commentary. You can go listen to the Chase Down Pod for the Cavaliers stuff. You can go listen to the uh, Light Years Podcast for anything to do with the Warriors. There's so many great podcasts on that network, and it's just growing more and more by the day. Um, I'm going to get into a bunch of stuff that has to do with the Nuggets today. I'm going to hit the Nuggets win in Portland that happened a few days ago. Um, Some technological issues kept me from getting that podcast out. So I'm going to quickly hit just the four takeaways that I had from that game. I'm going to break down Michael Malone's likely full 10-man rotation. I'll talk about the players who are fighting for a spot in that rotation and who could be on the outside looking in, in addition to predicting who will be the starting small forward of the team and what clues we may have been given as to who could start at that position, as well as looking at a a statistical breakdown of all of the different small forwards from the preseason to maybe get a better idea of who could potentially start. Um, Building off that, we're going to have a big mailbag episode. I'm going to answer a bunch of questions in the last segment of this show, but before we get into all of that, I got to give a shout out to Axios because they've been a, they've been a sponsor of this show and they've been doing awesome, awesome work. They're one of my favorite places to go for political commentary. I can find all kinds of interesting sports conversations on there. Really, that's just how well-rounded they are has made them one of my favorite places to go for news and sports and all kinds of other things. And also, their sports newsletter is awesome, so make sure to sign up for that. I will talk more about Axios after this first segment. Additionally, make sure to go check out the Regulators Production Group on Instagram. You can find them at Regulators Regime on Instagram. They are great at what they do for all their audio production. They are the ones who created the beat for the intro and outro of this podcast. You can reach out to at Rod Simba, that's R-O-D-S-Y-M-B-A on Instagram for any of your audio production needs. Like I said, coming into this, we're going to talk quickly about the Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers game. I don't have any, like, it's the last preseason game of the year. It was extremely preseason-y, very sloppy, not a whole lot of... um, the, the basketball was just not very good, and that's just what happens in the last preseason games. Everyone's just ready for the real thing, but still, there were some important takeaways to have, and I think the most important takeaway was that this this Nuggets bench unit is likely going to be the best bench unit in the entire NBA. Most bench units have, it, have either depth, a lot of it, or they have a very high level of talent. That's what makes them strong bench units. The Nuggets have both, which is a very rare thing. There are very few teams that have the amount of talent on their team and just a sheer number of players who can fill in and really give the Nuggets minutes. And that has become really the staple of what this bench unit represents. It's just this death by wave after wave after wave of Denver Nuggets players coming at you over and over again. And the Nuggets are going to be able to win a lot of games because of that. If the starting unit of this Nuggets team is able to play their opponents, even just just even, 
just not positive, not minus, or not negative, just even. The Nuggets are going to win an absurd amount of games because their bench unit is just so much better than opposing teams. And really, that's why it was a big takeaway for me when the Nuggets beat the Portland Trailblazers 110-104 to stay undefeated in the preseason. Um, the starters only played the first half. The Nuggets bench unit played the entire second half with the third stringers coming off the bench behind them. And really, they just absolutely obliterated the Trailblazers. There was just nothing you can do against that unit. And this is the thing. People don't realize Mason Plumlee was a starter on a playoff team. Jeremy Grant was a starter on a playoff team last year. Monte Morris could probably start for a handful of teams at the NBA level, as could Malik Beasley. And that's without talking about Torrey Craig, who started all throughout the playoffs for the Nuggets, or Will Barton, who was arguably one of the most offensive, uh, you know, uh, multifaceted offensive players in the league off of the bench. And that's also not including Watcher Hernan Gomez or uh, Michael Porter Jr. or P.J. Dozier or Jared Vanderbilt, who are all strong players in their own right. The Nuggets have five starters on their bench unit, depending on how you look at this. That's really how good they are. They're All five of them could start on a team somewhere in the NBA, and that bench unit is going to consistently be in a, a weapon that the Nuggets are going to be able to wield against other teams. Um, the other thing that I took away from this game was that I thought this was one of Jamal Murray's, uh, probably his best game of the preseason. Jamal Murray was not happy with his game. I found this very interesting as a, um, not symbolism, but just kind of a line of demarcation for how Jamal Murray views his own game. He was upset at his, at he, that he only had four points. He was, I believe, one of four from the field. Yeah, one of four from the field for only four points. But honestly, I could not care less about the fact that he only had four points. He was so good and so steady as a point guard on the court that he allowed the Nuggets starting unit just to have a better... Um, I guess offensive movement and fluidness to their sets, they weren't very good as a unit, but I thought Jamal Murray, he had a couple great pocket passes. He had six assists, no turnovers. He had three rebounds, and he did all of this in the first half. So honestly, that's what I care about. I know that Jamal Murray can score. I know he can shoot the basketball. I know he can get downhill. I know he's a good athlete. Those things are all well known to me. I want to see him grow in ways that he's not elite. I want to see him grow as someone with the ball in his hands and someone who can break down a defense and someone who is walking himself through the progressions as an offensive initiator mentally before just driving into three people, leaving his feet without making a decision and turning the ball over. That's exactly what we saw in that game. And I thought Jamal Murray was fantastic in this performance. So hopefully we get more and more of this Jamal Murray. I still want to see his shot selection improve, but... I can live with it so long as he's doing all of these different things. Also, this was likely Will Barton's best game as well. This was vintage thrill, in my opinion. He only played 21 and a half minutes, but 13 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, only 1 turnover. That's a great game from Will Barton. He shot 5 of 10 from the field. He was 1 of 4 from 3. He did miss 4 free throws, but you can live with that because he helped and impacted the game in so many ways. He led the team in rebounding in this game. He led the team in or was tied for the lead in scoring and was second in assists, and he did it in 21 minutes of action. I felt, watching this game, that Will Barton had locked down the starting small forward position at this point. I'll talk a lot more about the start, the starting small forward role after the first break here in the next few minutes, but I really thought this was the game that solidified Will Barton's stature as the starting small forward of the team. That has not been confirmed. No one knows anything yet. We're still waiting to see, but it absolutely felt that way. 
my last takeaway from this game was that the starters really struggled defensively in that first half, and Michael Malone was fuming about it in his post-game press conference. He was very unhappy with the defensive effort in the final preseason game of the year from his starting unit in the first half. I know that sounds extremely uh, nitpicky, but it's not. I think it's very valid. And he said, he's like, I don't care if we win or lose preseason games. I want to develop championship habits. And that's really what the Nuggets need to do. And that was a big step backwards defensively. So I think that's that's what Malone does. He gets on his guys when he needs to. So I thought it was very interesting to see him really get on his guys like that. All right, we're going to take our first break, and I will come back, and we're going to break down the 10-man rotation, and we're going to talk about the potential starting small forwards. through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything else in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up and it's free. Sports.axios.com. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up the day before it even happens. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, for free 99 at sports.axios.com. This is where things are going to get interesting because talking about the starting small forward position, there's four options, and then talking about the 10 man rotation, obviously, there's 10. Let's start with the starting small forward role because I think it's an and it's an important preview for talking about the rest of the 10-man rotation and who could potentially be on the outside looking in as it pertains to the rotation. So first, before we even get into what I thought of the players, let's talk about just their statistical outlook for what they were able to do in the preseason. So Will Barton played the most minutes of any of the possible starting small forwards, which Michael Malone said was Will Barton, Torrey Craig, Wancho Hernan Gomez, and Michael Porter Jr., Will Barton played 77 minutes over four games. He averaged 8 points, 5.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists, and 1.3 turnovers a game. Statistically, I, Will Barton was the most impactful of all the small forwards. But the issue is, just like the rest of the small forwards on the roster, he shot very, very bad from the field. Um, he shot 36.1% from the field. He was 14.3% from the uh, from three, and then only shot four of nine from the free throw line. So overall, he, met, he was only 13 of 36 from the field, two of 14 from three, and four of nine from the free throw line. His offensive rating was 93.1. His defensive rating was 101.2 
given him a negative 8.1 net rating. Those numbers are very random. In the preseason, it's hard to take stats as the end-all be-all, but in terms of looking at everybody side-by-side, I think it's an important thing. But overall, Will Barton's numbers in terms of offensive and defensive rating, I don't really care about. It's really the shooting percentages that worry me, and that's it. I thought overall he was a good playmaker. He rebounded the ball well. He didn't turn it over too much like a lot of his other teammates did. So overall, I thought Will Barton was arguably the best in throughout preseason. The other player who's involved is Torrey Craig, but Torrey Craig only played 45 minutes in three games. That is the least of any of the potential starting small forwards. What I will say is that Torrey Craig is also the most known quantity. Uh, Michael Malone knows exactly what he brings to the table. He knows his defense. He knows his energy. He knows his rebounding. He knows his ability to hit shots at, inconsistently from outside. So, Torrey Craig, in those three games in 45 minutes, averaged 3.3 points, 3.7 rebounds, and 1.3 assists. He had a 113.3 offensive rating, a 91.1 defensive rating for a plus 22.2 net rating. But, he shot 27.3% from the field. He was 3 of 11. 14.3% from 3. He was 1 of 7. And... He hit all three of his three for, of his free throws, but again, he needs to be able to hit those shots to be impactful. Offensively, he does not bring enough to the table to be not hitting open shots. He needs to be able to hit those open shots. Uh, Wancho Hernan Gomez played the second most minutes, believe it or not, of this potential starting small forwards. He played 71 minutes, played four, um, throughout four games, averaged 5.5 points, 2.8 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 1.3 turnovers, and 1.5 steals. He had a 95 point seven offensive rating and 86 defensive rating for a plus 9.7 net rating he shot 50 percent from the field 18.2 percent from three and 88.9 from the free throw line i thought wancho hernan gomez should have gotten more opportunity to start i think wancho hernan gomez was was pushed out of this race pretty early on, and I don't think he ever had time to recover, but I honestly feel like Wancho Hernan Gomez was not given enough time with the starters to prove himself. I think that he would have been a better option, and this has taken some convincing. Adam Mades and, and Brendan Vogt of DNVR have absolutely been convincing me that there is something to starting Wancho Hernan Gomez, and I thought the Nuggets should have given him more time. I don't think we got a, a good enough look at what Wancho has been able to do, but still, overall solid, and he had a very good summer coming off the gold medal with Spain. Lastly, Michael Porter Jr. was probably the most uh, statistical, impactful guy. Um, 9.3 points, 4 rebounds, 0.8 assists, 64 minutes in 4 games, plus 9 net rating. Um, he shot 55.2% from the field, hitting 16 of 29 shots. Um, only 1 of 7 from 3, but whatever. I thought Michael Porter Jr. was good, but he played against bench the end of the bench unit. So, now that all of those statistics are out of my mouth and out of the way... Looking at this and looking from what Michael Malone has spoken about, it really seems like Will Barton and Tory Craig are the last two people in this race for the starting small forward role. Then, at practice yesterday, which was on Sunday, Adam Matez of DNVR asked Monte Morris if he knew who he was going to be playing with and what the rotation might be like, and he mentioned that he will be playing with Tory Craig. To me, that's a clue that Will Barton is starting, in addition to the fact that he has arguably been the best one. Michael Porter Jr. is not ready. Watcher Hernan Gomez has not been in this race for the majority of the actual battle for the starting small forward role, which left it down to Will Barton and Torrey Craig. And if Torrey Craig is getting most of his minutes off the bench in practice, that tells me that Torrey Craig is not going to be the starting small forward against the Portland Trailblazers on the 23rd. We'll have to just wait and see, but that is seemingly how it has played out now. So what does that mean for the rotation? 
Before going into who could look out of the rotation, I would say there are eight spots that are absolutely guaranteed of Michael Malone's projected 10-man rotation, which he has said he wants to keep it at 10 guys. So in my opinion, the eight players who are locked into rotation spots are Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic, Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Jeremy Grant, and Mason Plumley. Those are the eight players that I think are going to have at least 10 minutes a night in that rotation. The last two spots will go to the starting small forward and the back. Backup small forward. Again, the odds seem high that Will Barton will start and then that Tory Craig will play behind him. But that means that only that Michael Porter Jr. and Wancho Hernan Gomez are essentially out of the rotation entirely, which seems surprising, but really wouldn't be. Michael Malone does not just give anything to anybody. So to me, Michael Malone is going to make Michael Porter Jr. have to earn his spot in this rotation, and it's going to take time. Michael Malone did say that he was going to allow the opportunity for the small forward uh, role, the starting small forward role, to continually evolve throughout the season. The player who starts game one on the 23rd against Portland may not be the guy who starts by the end of the year or the middle of the year. So the 10-man rotation could potentially be more fluid than we're realizing. So this is the way that I'm looking at it. There are eight of the 10 spots in there, and that means two of Michael Porter Jr., Torrey Craig, um, Will Barton, and Wancho Hernan Gomez will not be in the rotation on any given night. As of right now, it looks like Michael Porter Jr. and Wancho Hernan Gomez are on the outside looking in, which is a very tough decision to make. But that's really how it's just breaking down. It kind of just is what it is. So that's how the roster breaks down for me. That's the 10 men that I think get it. I think Will Barton starts. I think Tory Craig ends up behind him, and the starters and bench will be like this. It will be Monte Mo- or it'll be Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic starting with Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Tory Craig, Jeremy Grant, and Mason Plumley off of the bench. That's how I see it playing out, and we'll just have to wait and see if that's what Malone thinks. So we're going to take our second break, and we will be back with the mailbag portion of this podcast in a second. Indochino was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. When you wear a suit that is comfortable, it fits well, and it's absolutely tailor-made to you, you feel good, which means you do good. This is just a basic fact of life at this point. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and so much more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. The best part is that they are affordable. Almost all of their custom clothing is under $400. The process is also very simple. You just choose your fabric, pick your customations, and submit your measurements. The package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and even design your suit at the nearest Indochino showroom, or just do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. So start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is entirely free. That's Indochino.com, promo code Blue Blue Wire for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Time for what is my favorite 
segment. For people who have been listening to the show, they already know that. But this is the mailbag portion. And I love answering questions from Nuggets fans and listeners of the show because it provides the opportunity to look into topics that may be overlooked as media but are very important to fans. There is a difference there. So being able to take in questions from other people, it's very helpful for me to be able to get an idea as to what I should really be trying to keep tabs on for what the listeners want want to be talking about. So, with that being said, make sure to keep sending me questions. I will put those tweets out. I will put it up on on my Instagram story. You can also email me at tmcbride3793. Also, my Instagram is tj underscore mcbridemba, and my Twitter is at tjmcbridemba. So, however you want to send me questions, send me questions. Let's just dive into this stuff. So the first one came in from apparently Steely Dan's nephew. I have a strong suspicion that's just a name and not an actual title. But barring injuries, who is the starting five come April? This is a great question because it really, to me, speaks more to what the, the Nuggets identity or what does Malone want his Nuggets team's identity to be going into the playoffs? And if you ask me, the most important part of that identity is going to be defense because that's what Michael Malone preaches and it's what all of the vets preach as well. So, how can the Nuggets field the best possible defensive lineup while still being able to function as a high-octane ball movement offense? In my opinion, the best way to do this is going to be to start Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Nikola Jokic. Those three have to be involved in every closing lineup, in my opinion. I also think Paul Millsap needs to be involved in every closing lineup. So because of that, Jeremy Grant cannot be at the power forward position. That leaves the Nuggets with the opportunity to start either Torrey Craig or Jeremy Grant at the small forward position to allow the Nuggets to have more versatility on defense from the get. So in my opinion, I would start games with Jeremy Grant in April to be able to have that defensive presence from the very, very beginning so you can set the tone in that way. Then the question came from also from Steely Dan's nephew who closes games. My answer is the same. I think Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap being on the floor together, having Gary Harris be able to guard three positions on the perimeter, one, two, and three, having Jeremy Grant who can defend all five positions, Paul Millsap who can defend all five positions, you create an environment that can make up for the issues that Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic present defensively as a pairing. So I think those are the people you have to start with and close with towards the end of the season because that is going to allow you to to still play good offensive basketball. If Jeremy Grant is going to continue hitting shots like he has been hitting shots and continue to show off better handles and all of these things the nuggets can play jumbo but they can also still run the court keep the ball moving create open shots for each other run through Nikola Jokic and have guys who know how to play off ball while still locking down defensively so that's my thing Jeremy Grant at the three makes a lot of sense down the road but we'll have to see because we haven't seen much of it who knows if Jeremy Grant is not as comfortable at the three when the nuggets really get into the season we'll have to wait and see but as of October 21st the morning of that's how I feel about it um moving on though Jake Vandenbrink asked is MPJ more Chris Stapps or KD and this is really an opportunity just to speak about a skill set which I find interesting Michael Porter Jr. is not Chris Stapps Chris Stapps is better utilized as a center he is a nightmare mismatch down low he likes to get into the post sometimes yes he can shoot yes he's tall but that's really where the similarities end for me he is a much better shot blocker than Michael Porter Jr. is he's a better defender overall and he is just significantly bigger he's like 7-3, so I would say Chris Stapps is not the comparison. KD, if I'm if I have to choose one of these two, makes the most sense, I guess. But if I was to pick a player 
that Michael Porter Jr. as an absolute ceiling. I, I don't care if it's a 2% chance that he reaches this player. This is the archetype and the ceiling that I see is Paul George. That makes a lot more sense to me. 6'9", 6'10", jumbo small forward who isn't necessarily a great mismatch at power forward. He's just a, You don't get the most out of him in that setting. So, I, But at the same time, is mobile as hell for his size. Very, very sweet shooting, can get downhill, has a little bit of playmaking ability, understands how to play the game. That's the best opportunity and the best archetype for Michael Porter Jr. to grow into. He has a long ways to go before becoming that player, especially on the defensive end of the floor. But he has the size, he has the skills, and he has the traits to be able to be a player like that. As opposed to a KD who is a top 10 player ever, potentially, and Chris Stapps, who was a better, you know, who was more of a mismatch at the center position than a wing player. Sean English asks, is it weird to think they won't have as good of a record as last year, but have a better season overall? Matt Moore, HP Basketball on Twitter, has been the one that has been pushing this narrative from the start, and I think he's right. The Nuggets can win 50 games this year. It is completely on the table that they lose three games more or four games more than they did last year, but be a better team and more formidable going to the playoffs. Pardon my coffee machine. Um, I do think that there is absolutely a way that the Nuggets lose more games and look like a better team. They just have more versatility. They have more up end or higher end um, ceiling. They have, I mean, adding Jeremy Grant just raised their floor a ton. And then adding Michael Porter Jr. add their ceiling a bunch. And then keeping everyone healthy again raises the floor. So sure, the Nuggets can be a better, more formidable team and lose more games. I think it's actually likely, if anything. Uh, Kyle Laboria asked, do the Nuggets get back to 50 wins? This is just an opportunity for me to give my ceiling and my floor for the Nuggets. Um, I do think they get back to 50 wins to ask your question simply, but I would say the absolute floor for this Nuggets team, barring, you know, dramatic injuries like Nikola Jokic's leg doesn't just fall off his body but the Nuggets floor is 48 wins and their ceiling is 60. That's how I see this Nuggets team right now. Ryan Garrett asks, what's so hard about having a G League team in Colorado? So from what I'm picking up on, there is no profits to be made in Colorado. This is already not a basketball city. Let's be very clear about Colorado. This is a football town. This is a town where they like the Rockies as a place to go hang out with friends and go to the rooftop party deck. They're diehard Avalanche fans, but there's not a ton of them. And the rest is kind of just basketball fans. This is not a basketball environment. There are casual or there are... Um, fans of this Nuggets team who are incredible and know this team and know the sport, but it's not the majority in in Denver. It's just not a basketball town. So I would say that the reason why is because it's not profitable. No one would show up. There's no way to make money on a G League team in Colorado. That's really what it comes down to for me. Uh, Laura Keeney, very good friend of the show, by the way. Shouts, Laura Keeney. Uh, by the way, I can't wait to see you at a game. I was very upset you were not at the Portland game. I didn't get to say hi to you walking to the table. But she asks, when are the Nuggets getting a G League team? And I, I wanted us to follow up with this because we got the question about why they're not in the state. Matt Moore, again, HP Basketball has reported that the Nuggets are not going to have a G League team this year. Likely they're not going to have one next year in 2021, but more likely in tw uh, in 2021 as opposed to 2020. So we're talking 18 months minimum before the Nuggets get a G League team. Uh, Hoi Chi, last question, by the way. Hoi Chi is asking, will the Nuggets take a load management approach to their players? Yes, I absolutely am I'm, I'm prepared for this to be a thing. The Nuggets, well, let's take it this way. On media day, Michael Malone said, we are not preparing for an 82-game season. We're preparing for a 110-game season. 
That should tell you everything you need to know right there. If you want to win four series of basketball, you need to play, or if you play seven games and you play four series, that is an extra 28 games on top of the 82-game schedule, which gives you 110 games. The Nuggets are looking much further ahead than the end of the regular season, which means they're probably going to rest their players more, which means they're probably going to give more opportunity to younger players and guys like that to step in to be able to create an opportunity to get rest for their other guys. I have a feeling Nikola Jokic gets lots of rest. I have a feeling Jamal Murray gets a good amount of rest. I have a feeling Paul Millsap gets a lot of rest. I have a feeling that Gary Harris will get a good amount of rest because Gary has been hurt so much the past few years. So yes, I do think load management is very much so on the way. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions. I love answering those questions. I think it provides a good opportunity to explore some different narratives that maybe don't get explored by me because I'm not exactly the smartest person in the world. So the help from listeners and Nuggets fans of creating these different conversations is very beneficial for me. But this has been the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast. Thank you guys so much for sticking around. Make sure to go follow Blue Wire Podcast everywhere. Make sure to go reach out to me at TJ McBride MBA on Twitter at TJ underscore McBride MBA on Instagram. You can email me at tmcbride3793 at Gmail. My email is also in my Twitter bio. So if you have any questions, concerns, you want to talk, you gotta, you want to you know, slide a question in for the mailbag episodes like this, reach out to me and talk to me. I'm absolutely here to have that conversation. So, But to everybody who has subscribed, everybody who has been a part of this process, thank you so much. Remember, go subscribe. Go give a five-star rating. Go leave a comment about this, pod- this podcast. It helps me a ton. Until next time, though, we will talk to you guys later. This has been the Rocky Mountain Hoops Podcast. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet, with ample parking at every location for a scene retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com.